Thank you, Mark. It's, um, it's really good to be here again with you. And um, I think this is about my third or fourth time, and it's always a surprise, actually, when you get asked back to speak somewhere. Um, I'll tell you the truth, I wouldn't go across the street to listen to myself, so um, it's quite a surprise to be here. Hey, actually, true story. This is a true story. Uh, not, not this school, but there was a kid that went to a Bible college right after high school, just a few years ago now, and um, started first class. He had a professor, and his name was Dr. Robert Smith, and um, he sat in class. The guy was the worst teacher he'd ever had in his life. He was incredibly boring, and uh, he thought, well, I'll, I'll get over this, but when he looked at his calendar, he realized he had Dr. Smith every morning. And after the first week, he, he couldn't believe this guy actually had a job teaching. Um, but he thought to himself, you know, there's a church in town. I'll go to church in town and get a different speaker on Sunday. And he went into this church on Sunday, and he sat down. And the worship leader said, after worship, he said, you know, our, our, our pastor's away, actually, this week. Uh, but we we're really pleased to have Professor Smith from the college with us. And uh, the guy's just sitting there shaking his head. He can't believe his luck. Or bad luck. And he turns to the lady beside him and he says, uh, do you know who that, that is? That's Dr. Robert Smith. He's, he's actually the worst speaker I've ever heard in my life. And the lady said, do you know who I am? <laughs> and he said, no. And she said, I'm Mrs. Robert Smith. <laughs> and he looked at her and said, do you know who I am? And she said, no. And he said, oh, praise the Lord. He said, <laughs> Well, I just, I'm thankful that when I speak, somebody shows up, and I hope I uh, have something that will be helpful to you. Uh, I, we're going to look at Esther today, as was already mentioned, and I think the, the big picture, the big, um, well, the, the, the main message from Esther is this, God can use absolutely anybody, absolutely anybody to do his will if they're willing you should never forget that. God can use absolutely anybody to do his will if they're willing. Now, as we read about Esther in the Old Testament book by her name, Esther. It's a short book, 10 chapters. And um, it's a long ago, far away story. In fact, when you begin reading it, it sounds like, it almost sounds like once upon a time. And yet when you read through the book, the writer references three times the, the chronicles of the king to make the point that he's writing actual history. So it's a true story, long ago, far away, and yet incredibly relevant even for us today. And I hope you get that um, as we think about it for a few minutes today. Um, in a nutshell, here's the story, in a nutshell. Uh, once upon a time, there was a beautiful Jewish orphan girl who became queen of the greatest empire on earth. The king was Xerxes. And she didn't start out as queen. The, the, the queen that started out was Vashti. And King Xerxes was really into himself. He was a narcissist. And one day he threw a party to, um, to show off his great wealth. And it lasted for seven days. It's really interesting in the Bible. Some of the parties that kings throw are incredible events. Do you remember the party that King Belshazzar through that time, and, and then a hand appeared and wrote on the wall. If you're ever at a party where a hand appears and writes on the wall, get out of the place. Um, King Xerxes was kind of like that. His party lasted seven days, and um, 
One, one night he was drunk in the middle of the party. You know, he brought men in from all over the kingdom to display his great power and wealth. And he, he was drunk one night and he thought, you know, uh, Vashti's a very beautiful woman. I'd like her to display her beauty, whatever that means, to all of my people gathered here. So he called her in. And um, she was supposed to come and display her beauty to... Um, uh, a theater full of drunken men, and she refused to come. Now, you don't do that. When the king says, come, you come. And so it was a crisis in the kingdom. He called his wise people together, and they, they made a plan, and they deposed her, took her off the throne, and a search was made, a, a beauty pageant, really, for a new queen. And all the beautiful young women from around the land were invited, and they, they um, were given special beauty treatments, and, and then one after another... They would go in and spend a night with the king. And at some point, he'd choose a new queen. Now, one of four things could happen when you went in to be with the king. One is, he wasn't that impressed with you. And so you would become one of his concubines, and he would never call for you again. But you could never get married or have a family. It was a bad day. Second thing that could happen is he was kind of happy with you, You'd become one of his concubines, and whenever he was in the mood, he would call for you, and you would spend the night with him. Third thing that might happen is he's quite happy with you, and he would marry you, and you'd become one of his wives. Fourth thing that could happen is you gave him a really good night, and he makes you queen. And that's what happened with Esther. She became queen. Now, I want to just pick up a bit of her story in Esther chapter 2. It's the part where um, Xerxes, he's, um, he's looking for, a, he's looking for a, another queen. And so this is where the story is, picks up. Esther, uh, where is it? Oh, here, here it is. As a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other young women, was brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa. Um, Esther had not told anyone of her nationality and family background because Mordecai directed her not to do so. Every day, Mordecai would take a walk near the courtyard of the harem to find out about Esther and what was happening to her. Before each young woman was taken to the king's bed, she was given the prescribed 12 months of beauty treatment, six months with oil of myrrh, followed by uh, a bunch of special fur perfumes and ointments. When it was time for her to go to the king's palace, she was given her choice of whatever clothing or jewelry she wanted to take from the harem. That evening, um, she was taken to the king's private rooms, and the next morning, she was brought to the second harem where the king's wives lived. Esther was the daughter of Abihail, who was Mordecai's uncle. Mordecai adopted his younger cousin Esther. When it was Esther's turn to go to the king, she accepted the advice of the eunuch in charge of the harem. She asked for nothing except what he suggested and was admired by everyone who saw her. Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in early winter of the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. To celebrate the occasion, he gave a great banquet um, in Esther's honor for all his nobles and officials, declaring a public holiday for the provinces and giving generous gifts to everyone. That's just a, a bit of her story. What I'd like to do is um, share with you four points that will help you access the story and hopefully get a handle on this character, Esther. Four points. They'll all, they'll all start with the word big. Big. 
And then I'll just um, try and land the plane at the right time, and we'll talk about the lasting legacy or message that Esther leaves us. So here's the first point. It's really important when you're wrestling with this character Esther in her book to get the big picture, the big picture. It's actually important when you're studying the Bible to always get the big picture. In other words, where does this story fit in God's, in God's big story? There's two very high points in the Bible that you should never forget. They'll help you if you understand these two high points. One is Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Where out of all the nations and all the peoples, God chooses one man, Abram. And he says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And I'm not even going to bless you, but through you, I'm going to bless all the nations on earth. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. Actually, that's what God does for all of us. If he blesses us in any way, it's to be a blessing. Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and through you, all nations of the earth will be blessed. The other high point is near the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 7. You have a tremendous picture and everybody's gathered around the throne. And it says from every nation, tribe, tongue, they're all there worshiping the lamb on the throne. That's the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. That God comes through on his promise to bless all the nations of the earth through Abraham. Where does Esther fit? Well, Abraham's descendants, the Jews, would ultimately lead to Jesus Christ who would give his life on the cross, and through Christ all the nations would be blessed. So Abraham's descendants had to make it at least to Jesus. The problem in Esther's day is the Jews are in exile. And as you read her story, there's a plot to exterminate all of them. Then what would happen to God's plan to bless all the nations of the earth through the Jews? This is a critical point in the history of Israel. <clears throat> They're either going to get through this, or they're going to be exterminated. Um, it's, it's interesting, actually. People all, this is an, all through the centuries have tried to kill off God's people. They're still doing that today. Many countries. I have a friend that uh, works in Lebanon. And he, um, he was going over there to baptize nine new Christians. By the time he got there, he did nine funerals because they'd all been put to death. I mean, people have always tried to kill off God's people. Why? Because they're trying to kill off God. But you can't kill off God by killing off his people. And in Esther's day, the Jews were about to be eliminated. And what would happen to God's promises to Abraham? That's the big picture. Now, the relevance of the book is this. This is really important. Esther and her Jewish friends uh, were a religious minority in a dominant culture that worshipped other gods and that had different views on everything. They were a minority people in a dominant culture that worshiped other gods and have different views on everything. That's, that's where we are today, actually. We're a minority group of people who say we follow Jesus in a dominant culture that has different views on everything and worships other gods. What do you do when you live in a culture like that? You can do one of four things. You can, you can just fit in. You can compromise, you can fit in. Or you can withdraw into a little Christian world where all you ever deal with is Christians. Or you can protest all the time. Or you can be like Daniel and his friends. Daniel and his friends, they, they lived godly lives and they wouldn't compromise even if it was going to cost them their life. You can do one of those four things in a culture like we live in and in a culture like Esther lived in. What, what did she do? 
She just fit in. She compromised. Now, I know most people think she's a great hero. She turns out that way. She doesn't start that way. Uh, I remember preaching on this at church a while back, and I got so many emails of people saying, you are crazy. And I said, I know, but I still believe what I believe. Um, she, she compromised. She fit in. She didn't start out as a great hero. And we'll get to that in a minute. So that's, that's the big picture of this book. So what's the big question when you come to the book and to Esther? The big question is this. Where's God? Like, where is God? You read Esther chapter 1 to 10, guarantee you, you will not find the name of God anywhere. Nowhere. Um, no miracles, no, no God stuff at all. Just a story about Queen Esther and what happened to the Jewish people. No God. You know, there's only one other book in the Bible that doesn't mention God. Do you know what one it is? I'm not going to tell you. You can figure it out. Actually, I better tell you because you'll miss everything else I say. You'll be trying to figure it out. You'll Google it. I know it. Um, the only other book in the Bible that doesn't mention God, as far as I know, is Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon. But that one and this one, they don't mention God. So the question when you come to Esther is, where's God in all of this? You ever felt like that in your life? Where's God? Don't see him. Don't feel him. No evidence of him. And that kind of leads to the third point, which is the big idea in the book. The big idea. Here's the big idea. That God is always at work behind the scenes, even when you don't see him. Somebody said about Esther, God is most present when he's most absent. Um, even though you don't see God in the book, you don't see any miracles, what you, what you get when you read Esther is this idea that in the ordinary, everyday stuff of our lives, God is at work. Sometimes behind the scenes, working his things out, even though I don't see it and I don't get it. Um, that's happening in the book of Esther. What's surprising about the book of Esther is the number of coincidences that happen. There's a certain night when King Xerxes can't sleep, and coincidentally, he, he just gets the record of his kingdom, and he, and he sees a man in there named Mordecai that needs to be honored, that leads to this, that leads to that, and all throughout this book, there's these coincidences. I mean, when you walk with God, there's actually no coincidences. He's always the God behind the scenes, working out his purposes and his plans in our life. That's the big idea in the book. Um, so what's the big question? That would be the fourth point. What's the big question in this book? You know what the big question is? How, how on earth, or why on earth, did God ever choose Esther to be the person that ultimately would become queen, that ultimately would be the person at just the right time to deliver, to deliver the Israelites from the people that were trying to annihilate them. Like she, she, There was a point in time where Esther, she just shines. And because of her, the whole nation is delivered. But why did God choose her? Because there was nothing in her character that you would think would make God choose her. You ever thought about some of the strange people that God chooses to use? I mean, why would God choose that person or that person? But he does. Remember King David? I mean, he's a great king. But, you know, when God first chose him, nobody, not even his own family, thought about him. They'd forgotten about him, but God didn't. God made him one of the greatest men that ever lived. When you meet Esther, first of all, here's what you find out about Esther. She hides her identity. She won't let anybody know she's Jewish. She hides it. 
She has total disregard for all the biblical laws. And she goes in and she spends a night with the king. And it says she goes in in the morning. and come, No, she goes in at night, evening, and comes out in the morning. Now I had people at church tell me, well, they just, they played checkers or something. No, they didn't. Xerxes um, liked women a lot. Um, if you go to the king in the evening and come home in the morning, you've had sex with him. Esther goes in and she sleeps with a king, has sex with him before she's married, and not one word of protest. Not one anywhere. You say, well, she had to. She, he was a powerful king. She might have died. Yeah, Daniel and his friends, they were just probably junior high when they stood up and said, we're going to do it God's way. They could have died too. Esther is just this picture of complete compromise. I'll do whatever the king wants. I have to sleep with him, I have to sleep with him. And she hides her identity. I, we know what that's like, don't we? It's pretty cool in here to worship. Say, I'm a follower of Jesus. It's a lot different when you're out there and you're on your own. And we're often faced with that temptation to hide who we really are. You ever been there? I've been there. I remember, um, I know, I just, you won't believe this, but um, I have six grandkids. And uh, I was with three of them one day. Um, and we were going out for, for lunch. And we were going to McDonald's. And I thought, this is okay, I can handle this. And, um, you, you know, I, I, we went up and we ordered our food and we're, we're getting ready to, to turn around and there's only one table and it's over there and on, both, on this side is a bunch of policemen, on this side a bunch of truckers and we're right in the middle. And it occurred to me that these kids always make sure they give thanks for their food. I'm thinking, they like, maybe I'll, I'll handle this today. I said to them, guys, just come and sit, I'll handle it because we don't want to make a scene with these people watching us, you know. And I thought I would just kind of mumble out something and nobody would know that I've actually prayed. Now, I know you've never been there, but I was. Trouble is, when we got the table, my little grandson, Rain, said, Oh, Granddad, we always sing our grace. I said, You what? <laughs> I said, We never do in my house. Um, I said, Well, why don't we just, let me just pray. And I just prayed something really short and stupid. And I thought, I walked away thinking, You're trying to hide your identity. You're ashamed of being a follower of Jesus in public. I mean, this is it. You can relate to Esther because I think we've all been there. So she, she's just, that's the big question in the book. Why would God ever choose an Esther? It's crazy, but God can take anybody he wants and do anything he wants with them if they're willing. Now, the great story about Esther is it, is it rolls out a little bit is basically this, that Esther is... Um, she starts this way, but she doesn't finish this way. Which tells me it's not so much how you begin as it is how you end. She's queen. And as, as the, uh, there's a man named Haman who has a plot to destroy all the Jews. And word gets to Esther. And Esther's the only person in the kingdom that could actually step up to the king and say, listen, you got to put a stop to this. And it's a tremendous story. You ought to read it sometime. And Esther has to make a decision. Is she going to step up and be counted and be who she is? Or is she going to continue compromising and see her people annihilated? And there's this great point in the book where someone says to her, Esther, you've been put in this position for such a time as this. For such a time as this, you've been made queen. Now, what are you going to do about that? 
And I'm sure Esther wrestled with that. Then you have this great line, one of the unforgettable lines from the book of Esther, where she makes her decision and she says, and you know what? If I perish, I perish. I'm going to make a stand for God. And if I perish, I perish. And the rest of the story is that through Esther uh, and the, the, the decision that she made that day, God saved the whole nation of the Jews. This is an incredible person. She didn't start out that well. But man, did she finish in a spectacular way. Um, I, I love her story. You should read it. So when you, when you think about that, so that, that, that's the four bigs. There's the, the big picture, where she fits. There's a big question, where's God in all of this? Well, he's behind the scenes. He's at work, even when you don't see him. What's the, what's the, big, um, what's the big surprise? Well, it's just that God would choose an Esther. Or you or me. So what's her lasting message? What's the thing that I can hang on to from this book that's incredibly relevant and helpful for me in my life? I think it's this. I think there's two things, really. One is this. Your past is no hindrance to God using you. Your past is no hindrance to God using you. Listen, some of you have been there, done it. Some of you have watched porn or watching porn and you think, you know, because I've done that or I'm into that or I'm into this or because I haven't been godly, God could never use me. That's not true. The blood of Jesus Christ is one of the most powerful, is the most powerful thing in the universe that can take anybody, anybody's black heart and make it white. Um, Esther was loved because of her physical beauty. Jesus Christ loves you in spite of all your flaws. Esther was willing at one point to give her life for her people. Jesus Christ laid down his life for you. Um, you have no idea what Jesus Christ can do in your life if you bring the dark stuff into the light and confess it to him. He can make a man or woman uh, of God out of anybody. You know what the great characters in the Bible, the, the best example of that? Jacob. Jacob. Jacob's a guy that um, everything you read about him, like everything you read about Jacob is bad at the beginning. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. He's a cheat. There's not much good about him. And yet here's the thing. Don't ever forget this. When God chooses to identify with somebody, he identifies with Jacob more than anybody else. Sometimes you read about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I think once the God of Isaac, a few times the God of Abraham, but more than anything else, you're reading the Bible, I'm the God of Jacob. Why would God do that? Why would they identify with Jacob and not Joseph or not Moses or not Samuel or somebody good? You know, there's a point in the Jacob story, I think it's in Genesis 49, where he's an old man. And, and, and the, the, the narrator says, and Jacob worshipped on the top of his staff. You have this old man, and he's leaning over his staff, and he's worshiping God, and the writer of Genesis notes that. You know why? It's a signal to us that now you have a man of God. It took God, Jacob's whole life. And when God says, I'm the God of Jacob, you know what he's saying? I'm the God that can take dark, black, corrupted, twisted human character and make a man a God, or a woman a God, out of that person, even if it takes me their whole lifetime. That's the kind of God that we worship today. 
your past is no hindrance to God using you, provided you bring that past into his light with confession. That repentance is turning around and going a different direction, isn't it? Um, sometimes we need help with that. Um, you know, sometimes we have this, we go to 11 o'clock, is that right? Okay, I'll try and land the plane before then. Um, I just want to tell you, this just came to my mind, but, you know, sometimes when we talk about repentance, we think, oh, man, it's so hard. I got to do this, and I got to do that. I made this right. I got to, listen, you never repent alone. Jesus will repent with you. You ever heard that before? Jesus will repent with you. What's the great pictures of repentance in the Bible? Well, it's in Luke 15, isn't it? You have a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost boy. The sheep got lost because it was just stupid and wandered off. Sometimes we get lost that way. The coin was lost because of somebody else's mistake. And sometimes we get broken and lost because we've been sinned against. The son was lost because he, um, he just rebelled. He gave God the middle finger. That's what he did. He's a rebel. Every case they're lost. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost boy. What does lost mean? It means to be in the wrong place. The sheep should have been with the flock. The coin should have been in the purse. The boy should have been home. To be lost is to be in the wrong place. But in each case... It says there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels over a sinner that repents. So it's pictures of repentance. I won't worry about the first two, but let's think about the boy for a minute. What happened when he repented? You know, he, he said to himself, I'm going to go back to my father. I mean, I got nothing here. I'm, I'm, this, this stuff has broken me. I'm going back. And it says, while he was a long way off, the father saw him and ran to him. Only picture in the Bible of God running is when he's running to a sinner coming home. So then what, what happens? The father and the boy walk home together. And they run the gauntlet of that small Middle Eastern town. And, and nobody can actually um, abuse the boy because the father's with them. But the idea is that repentance there, all the way home, it's in the presence of the father. When you decide to turn around, the father runs to you and walks back with you as you deal with your stuff. You never do it alone. Um, so your past is no hindrance. That's the message of Esther. Her past was terrible, but it didn't stop God from using her. There was a critical point where she said, I will be who I am, and if I perish, I perish. Now, here's the second thing you can take away from the book of Esther. You are exactly where you need to be for God to use you to do incredible things in his world, in his kingdom. You're exactly where you need to be. Esther was exactly where she needed to be. You think, well, I don't have opportunities. Just live for Jesus where you are. He will open opportunities for you that you could never imagine. You know, this summer is August 10th. It was the worst day of our lives in Red Deer. We were driving home from Vancouver, and texts started coming in. And Dr. Walter Reynolds, who came to our church, had been murdered in his clinic. Maybe you heard the story. Um, he was a believer in Jesus. But uh, a, a man came in and, um, and pounded him with a hammer and macheted him to death right in his office. And uh, it was, I mean, it was just, it was devastating. It was one of the darkest days in Red Deer. So it was decided that there'd be a vigil on the 15th of August, uh, uh, Friday night, downtown Red Deer. 
uh, City Hall, the big park, and everybody that could come could come, and the whole medical community was there, and most of the players in the city were there. There's just going to be a vigil for Dr. Reynolds. And you know what? It was amazing. I was asked to speak there and a couple other people, but I thought, you know, Lord, it would be wonderful if somehow we could just name your name in the heart of Red Deer. You know, one speaker got up and he talked about Jesus. When I got up, I was able to share the gospel of Jesus with 2,000 people in City Hall Park in Red Deer, all the medical community, everybody else. Where did that vigil start? You know where it started? A 15-year-old girl on Tuesday started putting out on social media, we should have a vigil for Dr. Walter Reynolds. Her dad heard about it and shut her down. But the horses were out of the barn, and it went all over the place. And um, uh, Red Deer Critical Care Society picked it up, and it became one of the biggest events in downtown Red Deer, and at the center of the whole thing was the name of Jesus. Just a 15-year-old girl said, here's an opportunity. We should do this. You have no idea the opportunities God will place in your path if you're willing to say, Lord, I'm ready. Um, Your past is no hindrance, and you're also exactly where you need to be to do everything that God has called you. And by the way, when God gives you work to do, it usually goes viral. We can use that term. It's not a small thing. Okay, I'll give you one more example, then I'll I'll finish. Um, Back in 1953, a long time ago, before anybody in this room except me was born, a long time ago, um... In Holdley, Alberta, little place. Anybody from Holdley? Anybody know where it is? Nobody can spell it? Okay, well, it's, anyways, it's a farming town not far from these places. There's a wild man, the town drunk, and uh, he was a problem. A few Christian farmers in Holdley said, we should start praying for this town drunk. I mean, we'd like to be rid of him. Why don't we just ask God to save? You know what? God answered their prayers and saved that guy. He led his family to Christ. That drunk farmer who became a Christian son led his son to Jesus. And that's my good friend, Heath Meekel. Heath Meekel, when I first met him, was in Exarchia, Athens. Exarchia in Athens is an unsecured area in the middle of Athens, where you go in there, there's no police presence at all. It's where all the anarchists are. And you, there's a university in there. And all the riots in Athens, they come out of Exarchia, the heart of Athens. And, and, and it's a wonderful place, though, because they got great coffee shops and great culture. But you just, you know, if you're in trouble, there's nobody to help you there. But So I visited him there one time and went up, and, and he had a little upper room Bible study going on with a bunch of anarchists, and they're studying the Gospel of Mark. And he planted a church in Exarchia. His visa ran out, and now he's in East Vancouver, just off of East Hastings, one of, the, one of the most like Exarchia places in Canada, and he's planting a church there. Do you know, a few farmers in Holdley in 1953 said, I, we see an opportunity. We should pray for this guy. They had no idea that their prayers would result in a church being planted in the heart of Athens, and now in 2020, in the heart of East Vancouver. You have no idea what God will do with you when you say, I'll be faithful and I'm willing. He'll do more than you could ever, ever imagine because that's the kind of God we serve. 
So I know it's, it's hard to kind of capture the heart of Esther, but I hope in some ways when you remember Esther, you remember that God can take absolutely anybody and use them to build his kingdom if they're willing. That, to me, is the heart of this book and the lasting legacy of this lady called Esther. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you again for another opportunity to come together and worship you. At the end of our life, we'll say these were the best times of our life when we got to worship you and be in your presence. And thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that um, your word is present tense and it still speaks to us. Father, I pray that we would be people, even though we're a minority in a dominant culture, that aren't afraid to stand and live for you. I pray, Father, today that the things that are of you, you'd plant in our hearts, and the things that aren't, you'd just blow away. And I pray your presence would go with us this day, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. Great to be with you.